Hi, welcome to The Halfling. I'm your host, Jaron Pack, and this is episode 25, Narvi the Elf Friend. Last time we started unpacking the little-known, barely-recorded history of the dwarven craftsman, Narvi. We read the quick summary in Unfinished Tales, which describes Narvi as, and I'm going to quickly throw it in here again, quote, Dwarf of Khazad-dûm, maker of the Westgate, close friend of Celebrimbor of Erigion. End quote. In the last episode, we also set the stage for why Narvi was able to achieve this trifecta of impressive achievements. As far as the Dwarf of Khazad-dûmbit is concerned, let's recall that Narvi is a master smith in a thriving dwarven mansion of Khazad-dûm, well before it's overrun by a Balrog. He is a master smith amongst master smiths. He is amongst the elite of some of the greatest craftsmen in all of Middle-earth history. He's also good friends with the elven lord of nearby Erigion, and that's a ringmaker fella named Celebrimbor, and together they team up to make and decorate the west gates of Khazad-dûm, an entrance commonly referred to as the Doors of Durin. And that's where we're picking up the story today. One question that naturally comes to mind here, at least for myself, is why they would be building doors this far into the history of Khazad-dûm. I mean, aren't there already doors that the dwarves have been using for ages by this point? And the answer to that question is rhetorical, yes, of course. The dwarves obviously have doors to their homes, but in this case, they're located on the other side of the mountains. At least initially. When Khazad-dûm is founded, it's very early on. The dwarven father Durin discovers the eastern area of the mountains first. This is the geographic area where the Fellowship leaves the mines after escaping from the Balrog, so they're basically going in the back door and exiting through the front door. Durin and his people begin delving into the east side of the mountains pretty much at the beginning of recorded history. Over the centuries, the dwarves stay busier than badgers and build and expand until their home becomes really big and quite famous. But it seems that in spite of its size, for a long time, Khazad-dûm doesn't have any designated outlets on the west side of the mountains. At least, none that are public knowledge. Remember, the dwarves do a lot of things in secret, so it's totally possible that there are some doors hidden on the west side somewhere, but they aren't mentioned in any of the text. Anyway, in the Fellowship of the Ring, Gandalf explains that the door that we're all familiar with, and that opens to the tune of Melon, is actually created for Celebrimbor's folk. That is, the elves of the nearby region known as Erigion or Halin. The wizard explains that, quote, the west door was made chiefly for their use in the traffic with the lords of Moria. Those were happier days, when there was still close friendship at times between folk of different race, even between dwarves and elves. End quote. Now, I actually want to take a minute here to talk about this friendship element right here, right now. Partly because it's really important in Tolkien's writings, and not just in this point. It runs through it multiple times from the very beginning. The varying friendship and antipathy between the two races of elves and dwarves in particular also creates a lot of drama, and leads to some major events along the way, too. But that isn't the only reason I want to pause and talk about this. Remember the fact that we're here to talk about Narvi? Yeah, it's easy to forget because, well, there just really isn't much out there about the guy. 
But that makes every little mention that we get about him that much more important. And one of the main themes of Narvi's recorded existence is that he's friends with an elf. Like Legolas and Gimli-level friends. The kind of stuff that is as rare as seeing an elf and a human get hitched. Off the top of my head, I can only think of one time in the first age when an elf really bonds with his dwarven friends, and it's the very unpleasant story of a nasty elven dude named Aeol. And for those of you who heard something different there, that's Aeol, E-O-L. Anyway, in the third age, we've got Legolas and Gimli. And in the second age, there's Celebrimbor and Narvi. I'm sorry if I'm forgetting another dwarven-elven friendship, but I think that's it. And my point is, elves and dwarves coexisting is fairly common. When they bond to become best friends, though, that is utterly unusual. And it's usually a really big deal. To put it into context, let's take a quick look at why these two people groups are at odds so often. In the Summerillion, when it's introducing the dwarves and elves in their respective early Middle-earth settings, it specifically states that, quote, Ever cool was the friendship between the Naugrim and the Eldar, though much profit they had of one another, end quote. Just a quick clarification, the Eldar refers to the elves, and the Naugrim, well, they're the dwarves, obviously. In fact, the word Naugrim is an elvish nickname they're given early on, which means the stunted people. Yeah, not a great start to a healthy relationship. They're also called the Gonhirim. Sorry if I butchered that pronunciation. But that means masters of stone. So, at least that one's a bit more respectful. Clearly, the dwarves' collective reputation as delvers and miners precedes them even early on. Okay, names aside, the text I just read from goes on to point out that this aloof attitude is already there before some of the really nasty stuff takes place between these groups. So, there's already a coolness right off the bat before things even have a chance to go south. And it makes sense. So, if you remember last time, we talked about the creator, Iluvatar, giving the dwarves sentient life, but that Aule, the Valar, the guardian of the world, he was the one who conceived them and the idea of them in the first place. Well, when Iluvatar finds Aule, the Valar is making the dwarves against his creator's wishes. Iluvatar shows mercy and gives the dwarves their own independent life. That's great. Uh, Iluvatar and Aule also patch things up and have a healthy relationship at the end of the whole thing. It's great, too. But at the end of the encounter, Iluvatar adds the chilling line, quote, But when the time comes, I will awaken them, and they shall be to thee as children, and often strife shall arise between thine and mine, the children of my adoption and the children of my choice. End quote. After these prescient words set the tone, the dwarves and elves proceed to fulfill the prophecies by butting heads over and over again. In the first age, several landmark events take place that really polarize the two races. We're not going to break them down in detail, but there are treacherous moments, including a bunch of dwarves murdering a stingy elven king, and they even fight multiple battles with one another, one of which features Ents helping elves ambush and annihilate a rogue dwarvish army. So there's a lot, there's blood spilled, there's anger, there's a lot of emotions wrapped up in this by the end of the first age. And this is where we get those subtle conversations and little digs and comments that dwarves and elves level at one another throughout the Lord of the Rings, and the Hobbit for that matter. Personally, my favorite summary of the feelings between the two peoples is in the Fellowship of the Ring book, right before the company reaches the doors of Durin, in fact. As Gandalf explains the history of the Friendly Gateway, 
and the way it connected Elvish Erigion with the Dwarvish Dwarodelf, he says the line we've already heard about how those were happier days when close friendships still existed between elves and dwarves, all that stuff. At this point, Gimli and Legolas both chime in, which I find very interesting, that they both feel the need to say something. The little debate-slash-conversation goes like this, quote, It was not the fault of the dwarves that the friendship waned, said Gimli. I have not heard that it was the fault of the elves, said Legolas. I have heard both, said Gandalf, and I will not give judgment now. But I beg you to, Legolas and Gimli, at least to be friends and to help me. End quote. I love that. Gandalf has a way of cutting to the quick, doesn't he? He sees right through the veiled comments and points out that all of his years of wisdom and hobnobbing with dwarves and elves has revealed to him the same thing that is at the heart of every long-standing quarrel, two sides that are both at fault, and critically are blinded by biased bitterness. How's that for a nice dwarvish-elvish alliteration to help memorize the reason for the two groups' unwarranted antipathy? Okay, enough of that. Seriously, though, For all of the animosity, the two peoples do have their connecting points every so often, and it's a bond that is particularly strong between the dwarves and the group of elves called the Noldor. Last time we talked about how Celebrimbor was a Noldor elf, and we were going to talk about this more, well, that time has come. This group, the Noldor, includes most of the movers and shakers of Middle-earth history. This starts with Feanor a Noldor elf that fashions the hollowed jewels called the Silmarils, which the Silmarillion is named after and which holds supernatural power. He's also probably the one who made the seeing stones called the Palantiri, the one that Denethor has and Sauron has and Saruman has. Yeah, he made those and they're originally good tools used by the kings of Gondor and Arnor and even further back. Now, the guy Feanor is a bit unhinged. But he is also the unchallenged master craftsman in all of Tolkien's writings. Galadriel is one of the Noldor too. Gilgalad, Elrond, and Celebrimbor have Noldor in blood. Even Aragorn can trace some of his history back to the elven people group. These elves are a big deal, guys. The Noldor are also well-known not just as politically relevant people writing the history books, they're famous for their collective interest as smiths and craftsmen. This is important for what we're talking about here because, well, it gives them a common interest with the dwarves. In fact, in the Silmarillion, it even says about the dwarves, quote, the gems of the Noldor they praised above all other wealth, end quote. So, it should come as no surprise that Celebrimbor, who is descended from Feanor and is regarded as one of the greatest Noldoran smiths of all time, should hit it off with the dwarves. And yet, I can't help getting to this point and still feeling a bit unfinished. Particularly if we're talking about Narvi's part of the whole deal. In comparison, Celebrimbor is a pretty underdeveloped character, and yet, as we'll see soon, there is a lot of information out there regarding the smith. And to be fair, he really is that big of a deal. He deserves the attention. But if I could be allowed to draw a completely personal comparison, this is nothing coming from Tolkien, just for myself, it feels to me like Narvi plays the Radagast to Celebrimbor's Gandalf. He's the Celeborn to Galadriel, the Arwen to Aragorn. He's the very important person who lives in the shadows. The support character, who is equal parts critical and irrelevant. He's utterly important and yet forgotten. In fact, one of the few lines about Narvi in the text is Gimli literally saying, quote, Narvi and his craft and all his kindred have vanished from the earth, end quote. 
That just about sums up this master dwarven craftsman who is, pardon the pun, dwarfed by his elvish colleague. And yet, for all of the irrelevance and lack of attention that Narvi's character gets, the fact still stands that he is still coming up in conversation thousands of years after his death. Gimli isn't puzzled by the name, he's not confused and wondering who this guy is, he knows who Narvi is, and knows that his knowledge and his guild of fellow craftsmen are long gone. Not only is Narvi remembered, but his role is one that supersedes any degree of door-making, ring-making, or any other craft that takes place in Middle-earth. Narvi goes well beyond sharing professional knowledge and networking with craftsmen from another race. The dwarf lays down his personal biases and forges a friendship, a real friendship with an elf. This is something that is both rare and powerful in the annals of Tolkien's writings. It's because of dwarves like Narvi that Gandalf can say something like this about the secret west gate in Moria, in the Fellowship of the Ring. Quote, In the days of Durin they were not secret. They usually stood open, and door wards sat here. But if they were shut, any who knew the opening word could speak it and pass in. End quote. These aren't secret gates representing walls between two peoples. They're a sign of entrance, interdependency, and trust. Now the last note I want to add here is about the Rings of Power adaptation. We know that the show is going to feature Celebrimbor in a leading role. Elrond will be traveling around forging friendships and acting as an ambassador to the dwarves. Prince Durin IV will be helping to lead Khazad-dûm. But as of this writing, we don't know if the oft-overlooked character of Narvi will ever see the light of day on the silver screen, or at least the streaming one. I hope he does. I hope a solid chunk of the story is devoted to developing this small yet critical corner of dwarvish culture that overlaps with the elves. It actually overlaps with the elves. I hope we get to see a dwarf and an elf not just get along, but become besties as they bond over their craft, much like Legolas and Gimli do as they fight their way through the War of the Ring thousands of years later. It's an underdeveloped narrative element that would fit very well into the Rings of Power story, I think. And it's one that could easily take the spotlight as a powerful testament to what two people can do when they lay aside their differences, ignore their prejudices, and are willing to look for ways to bond and build a life together. As a final quick note, if you can leave a rating and review, it's always very much appreciated. I'm also very thankful for all of the new listeners. Welcome aboard. You can also follow the show on Twitter at the handle at PacJaron, P-A-K-J-A-R-O-N. That's it for now. Until next time, friends. This episode is brought to you by, well, me. And despite the fact that I've memorized whole chunks of Tolkien at this point, it still takes quite a bit of work to pull each of these together. There are also some recurring expenses that come with keeping the show on the air. So, if you're interested in helping, I set up a way to toss a few dollars toward covering costs. Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash thehalfling. That's buymeacoffee.com slash thehalfling. If you make a donation, thank you very much. And either way, I hope you'll stick around for all the fun. All right, that's it for now. Until next time, friends.